0: welcome back to the out of hours podcast we are now on the last episode of season two but before we start i want to do a quick shout out to our sponsor for this episode this episode is sponsored by tribe we've been talking about tribe for the last few episodes one of the uk's leading plant based nutrition brands tribe creates delicious all-natural plant-based snacks which are also gluten-free you can try a pack of Tribe's nutrition products with a special out-of-hours code. Just head to wearetribe.co slash out-of-hours where you can get your first pack of bars for just £2 and that includes shipping. Just head to wearetribe.co slash out of and use the code tribeoutofhours, all one word. So one more time, it's wearetribe.co slash out-of-hours and using the code Out of Hours, all one word. I will put the link in the show notes and be quick because it's not going to last forever.
1: You've got to be, I think you've got to believe in yourself. You've really got to, you can't really afford in this life. You've only got one, believe it or not. And I think you've got to get over yourself. Get rid of that ego. Throw it away. No one cares. People want realness. People want vulnerability. Only ourselves would try to like cut down a vulnerable person. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the Out of Hours podcast, the podcast for people who are creating things they think should exist in the world. I'm Georgia Ritter, founder of outofhours.org, a community for people with side projects. Over the last year, I've been spending my time exploring how to help more people progress the ideas that they're interested in. I believe that everyone has a great idea and working on things we care about can help us be more creative, more resilient, and more confident. There are barriers that stop us from starting. Sometimes time, money, or network, but also self-belief, not knowing where to start and wondering what other people might think. On this show, I'll explore the stories of people who have followed their curiosity, been brave, and started a side project, only to turn it into something much bigger than they ever thought possible. I'll explore the stories of nonprofits, businesses, creative projects, and social movements to understand the practical first steps they took the doors these small ideas can open, and the magic that happens when you start taking your own ideas seriously. Now our guest today for the last episode of this season is Matt Miller, better known as Mills. Mills is probably most well known for co-founding digital design studio Us2 with his co-founder Synx. They started it over 16 years ago and have since worked with clients like Joe Wicks, Lego, The Co-op, Google's DeepMind and Samsung, just to name a few. The reason that we're speaking to Mills today is actually not about us two. Well, it kind of is. It's actually because of a culture that Mills created at US2 of experimentation, creativity and risk taking within the agency, which led to 16 internal side project experiments, or as Mills likes to call them, six failures. Success and failure in one. Learning from each one, as we tend to do with side projects, their learning culminated in the phenomenal success Monument Valley. Monument Valley was a game downloaded over 150 million times, and it also featured in the TV show House of Cards. The success of this experiment led to an entire new entity of us two, us two games, despite Mills not actually being a gamer himself. He's since stepped back from us too and we talk about his new life as an investor uh, where he's invested in over 38 companies and how he challenges what it really means to be an investor as well as his own side project adventures in podcasting. We also talk about what you need to create a successful game, why it matters to follow your curiosity, why it's essential to have something outside your main work and his view on success and happiness. And before we get into it, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has reviewed. Most recently, Dimitri, thank you for such a lovely review. Um, I appreciate it. And as a podcaster, you don't get much feedback. So every single review really is just the highlight of the week. So if you haven't left a review and you have enjoyed this season of the podcast, you can do them on Apple Podcasts. Or if you have any thoughts, feel free to email at hello at Thanks a lot and enjoy the show. Mills, welcome to the Out of Hours podcast. So us two obviously wasn't a side project. You went straight into it. But the reason I think it was an interesting idea for us to speak is I think us two as a agency really represents the same spirit of what Out of Hours is really trying to do and also the spirit of side projects and actually you run a lot of you did run a lot of side projects internally and I think Us two is both encouraging of people doing their own side projects and side projects internally but before we get on to that I think it'd be worth just recapping for anyone who hasn't come across you what is Us two? How, how do you think about it because I know you don't run it on the day-to-day anymore.
1: Yeah Us two itself yeah it's going 16 years now I always struggle to be able to like really talk about what Us two was I mean, us two started as by think and so myself, my best mate, to help clients, you know, create dig- digital experiences and products. I mean, I think now that's you know a, a very normal thing. But I think back then, really, the what we were actually doing was focusing on digital interfaces for for tiny little Sony Ericsson phones. You know, nowadays, us to you know, I say it's it's around the world in many many studios. We just launched uh, Joe Wicks, the body coach's you know, new digital business. I always knew that. Creativity was something that I massively appreciated and I, and I wanted to be in a space where designers played. We have spent a few years out of college at a, at a wonderful tiny agency called Big Animal. Through those three years of Big Animal, we just observed how to run a small, brilliant little agency whereby f- actually fun and blurring the boundaries between work and play was the most important thing. We de- you know, we, we, we were also getting excited by the idea of wanting to build a space that that encouraged people to in a way that dom had encouraged us to be their best selves to to do great work so we'd never really had any grand plans about getting really big it was really just like you know what do our clients want do we love doing what they want us to do yes let's keep doing more and actually we got real it's really really excited about seeing these talented young designers coming to us too and realizing that actually we just need to let them free, set them free, really. And just, you know, our values played out each day. We, you know, we labelled it a fanpony. It was, a, it was friendship through and through.
0: I want to talk about this fanpony thing because in recent times, I think it's become quite controversial to call a business a family People who run businesses who kind of want to create them into like into families or or, or great environments can, in doing so, not acknowledge their role as like a boss of a company, a leader, right? And I don't think it's intentional most often. um, But I was curious, kind of, whether you had that same experience, which was you start with the best intentions of creating this amazing environment, but then by creating like a family um, business, people feel an obligation that overrides kind of what they're being compensated for I think it's a controversial topic but it's it's come up a little bit I think recently
1: no I I would totally understand I would totally understand why people would feel that I mean I think definitely going back to when we started us to I had this bee in my bonnet about the way that agencies were run you know at the time that was where my passion was for me it was just another way to express what I felt us two was and at the end of the day you know it doesn't really matter if I call it a family if, if it doesn't get adopted by people and I think you know internally no doubt there were people who thought it was absolutely brilliant and people who thought it was absolutely, you know, nonsense. You know, I was 24 when I started. And so things and myself were just being totally ourselves. Like we, we had never run, read a book about how to build a business. Like they, for us, it was very simple. You build a business by treating people well. And in, in our instance, you know, finding clients and making sure we over deliver to them, it was that, that simple. And we wanted to enjoy every single day as much as we possibly could so family was just was a way for me to be able to actually almost market something that I actually felt was absolutely genuine I mean looking back now we call it those years were quite culty mm. you know and they they I think it was a cult and I think if you would ask people who were in us too in those early years you know when we got up to the big big numbers of people I think it was this huge cult of similar minded similar aged people that works until it doesn't work. I never wanted to work anywhere, so I wasn't gonna. I wanted to make work fun.
0: I guess what I'm interested in is is the founder the founder experience always reflected in the employee experience.
1: Now I look back, it really depends on who that person was. We probably never realised that if you were a certain person, you were definitely in a better position in the family than you were if you weren't that person. And I think. That's just down to naivety. It's down to just not being aware of stuff. It's down to, you know, when a cult becomes a cult, people don't want to leave and people feel very protective of that. And there is and everyone is kind of piling in on the same thing that they believe they love. But I guess if you've got people that aren't liking some things that are going on, they're unlikely to speak up. Talking to some of the people, I think, yeah, I think we did some things accidentally that probably damaged people and I, I feel bad about that and i've actually gone to sp- i've gone to see people actually over the years just to kind of understand you know what their point of view on some things to, to, to sort of mend things again but we we were purely lucky that we built us to just before the mobile wave really kicked in so we were re- we were on the top of that wave when most companies hadn't seen it coming and it was pure accident. And so it was just like, whoa, what's going on here? And suddenly, like, four hundred people, and it's just like, what the hell! So that the one of the reasons I'm not, I'm not involved operationally now is that I'm not designed to be. A business doesn't need to be like that anymore. Like, we needed proper processes. Eventually, we needed proper. We needed proper leadership. We needed leadership that represented the talent or the opportun- equal opportunities. We needed. We needed diversity we need everything we need to change everything up
0: fast forward a bit now to 2014 um, and you launched Monument Valley this yep. in 2014 I mean there's so much to talk about Monument Valley let's let's start with the kind of journey that led to Monument Valley in terms of like the creative process and how you were thinking about it and how intentional it was
1: yeah so to give a sort of wrapper to it you know, we were building the client service side of us two, or in fact, there wasn't a side, it was, that's what us two was. But eventually I realized that my passion actually didn't lie in, in the client side, Sinks did, and he's always loved that. And that's fantastic. But actually I always wanted to prove that we could use the very skills that we were developing for you know, and using for our clients on our own products. Now, you know, I, we saw the app store, um, launch in. In 2008, I think, and with that, I just saw a massive opportunity. And so, did things, and we thought, okay, what, you know, what do we do here? And so, what we we realized is that we were making you know, good money on doing what we love on the client side. But we thought, if we were to take some of that money and we were to hire somebody into the same company, but actually put them in the corner, and we did with Paolo actually when she first started. And so, we hired an Irish developer, and she said, "We're your sole job." is to is to work on this on this side of us that doesn't even exist year on year we would put more and more money to hiring more people or allowing more people from the client side to be focused on a particular project and and those projects were really just app experiments you know they, they could be entertaining apps they could be services it was all about exploration about learning about about giving us a voice really personally for me i want to be able to talk very passionately about our work without having to think about what somebody else might think i really, i have a real issue with that so this gave me a voice in the market to be able to, t- to talk about these projects and and in a time for us to where a lot of our clients would make sure that all of our projects were very secret we didn't really have much to show even though we were a big studio so it gave us that outlet and over four say 2008 to 2014 was we launched about 16 different experiments, side projects, that didn't make money. I mean, they cost money.
0: I've got a list of some of them.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, no. go for that.
0: <laughs> a children's book app called Nursery Rhymes.
1: Yeah, Nursery Rhymes.
0: A cartoon mouth app called Mouth Off.
1: Yeah, that was our second one.
0: Ranimator, a wallpaper maker for iPad. Uh, I think this one's called Instrumental. Yep. Instrumental. Instrumental. Uh, yep. Instrumental. Good name. Um, a quirky music creation app. Rando, a mobile photography app to swap shots with random strangers. Wait, oh God, there's more. Position app, a tool for developers to track app store chart rankings around the world. How do you come up with these ideas?
1: I mean, it's, it's wonderful to hear all that stuff because actually, when you when I hear that out loud and what I know about them, every one of them, we weren't saying that each of these things had to be a business. We would hope that if we were charging them, you know, at the very least, they would see their costs, which they very rarely did. But actually, every single one of those that you mentioned had served a purpose. You know, mouth, you know, mouth actually was our second app, and it was a mouth replacement app. You know, you hold the phone over your mouth, and you can see me doing this. And as I talk, the mouth moves up and down. Now, what we did, we did that because we felt like we need to produce something that's very easily seen by other people, and we felt like kids and adults would do it in the pub. And we felt that would actually, that would get people talking about it. And it did. And actually for us there, that was a catalyst for us to, to start taking ourselves much more seriously because Creative Review at the time, some, you know, very influential design publication that we, we massively respected, picked up on it and wrote a blog post about it and, and actually featured it. And that, we realized that although we didn't make money directly from that, the exposure we were getting from it was really helping our client service side, or certainly we had blessed, we thought it was anyway, whether it was or not, who knows. And then, you know, things like Granimator or Wallpaper, that was more about us meeting other designers. From that journey of, like, many apps before it, we had realized that if you don't have a hook inside your apps, there's something that the journalists will talk about. They're unlikely to talk about it. And if they don't talk about it, you're unlikely to get press. And that means you're not going to get downloads. And so Storytime was something where we we allowed you to remotely read to your kids. So if you were at work still working, us do, because we're making you work, then you could remotely read to your kid and turn the pages to them. I mean fairly abhorrent in concept, if you think about it, but actually as a as a wonderful link bait to get like TechCrunch and all these websites talking about it, it worked wonders. So the only reason these things happened is because I was just, I wanted to make them happen and I own half the business. And Sinks loved me being excited by it. And he knew that my excitement for this had a massive positive effect on the rest of the business. And ultimately, commercially, we knew that we could afford to do this. So we never spent more money than we could afford to lose. But by the time Monument Valley comes out, we put 1.2 million pounds or dollars or whatever into that, and I think that was a, a different place than when we first launched the apps, because by then we actually realised that to make a great game there needs to be so many different ingredients, and we had a, a team bespokely created that would that would create something that had a, a chance to to be loved by everyone, not just game makers and that was a bit more of a bet that kind of I really believe would do well because I think we were focused on creating something special as opposed to it doesn't matter.
0: I'm curious like how much intention and planning were in those projects so was it like we'll put aside x amount every quarter or every year or was it like let's do this in order to gain press or like were you planning stuff or were you literally like let's experiment with these new technologies?
1: I think it was just Step by step, I think it was let's make stepping, which was something we did in a month. And, and let's see what happened from that. Oh, that got us an Apple contact. Great. Brilliant. You know, it was, I think I call it Sixalia because I feel like each one, forget the commercial side, each one was a build on the last. Like, let's not make the same mistake again. I mean, Instrumental, which we did with our friend John Bergman was, you know, it was hilarious. But ultimately, did it have any utility beyond me and John? I mean, I'm not even sure John ever played it. I think by then that was a bit of a wake up call to, to me that, that if we're going to spend our money, then it might as well be something fairly useful. And we were able to bring some of those insights back to, back to the client service side as well. And as I say, you know, when we were in pitches with to win big client projects, to be able to showcase a load of work that we did purely off our own back, that we self-supported, that we self-funded. And that some of them may even have seen because some of the things actually, although they didn't do commercially well because they might have been free, had gained iron for sure. So as long as the studio side was doing well financially, then I could afford to take big risks. If you were to look at us two from the outside, you'd think that we're just this barmy studio that's just doing all this sort of sort of own IP stuff all the time, our side projects all the time. But behind that, there was an engine that was actually having to create the you know amazing work that just never got seen or never got our name to it. I think eventually Sinks probably did want us to actually take it more seriously, and I think come Whale Trail, which is about three before Monument Valley. I think, I think that really again that it nearly did well commercially, but it it still didn't do that well. I think Syncs started to think this we're putting a lot of money into this. You know, granted Mills is really excited by it, so as long as he's really excited, I'm I can just about stomach it. But I think Monument Valley, I think was the last. Was, if that had gone south, I think I'm not sure where it would have gone because that was six years of, of, like, constant failures.
0: So let's talk about Monument Valley because, I mean, the figures change in, like, every article I read about it. It's, it's made tens of millions now.
1: I, in all honesty, I've never – I mean, it sounds like – I don't really know because I'm the same as you. I've read different articles that say different things. I know we've had, like, over 100 – we've had, like, over 150 million downloads which is a huge amount across various different platforms. And of course, majority of those are free. I think over the course of its time, including you know some of the sort of commercial deals we've done with other partners in, for example, China, et cetera, I think it's probably made about, I would imagine about 20 million pounds by now. The funny story, which is not that funny, is that our client service side, I was taking the money from that, the profits from that, and we were using what we could decided to use to to support this side project that eventually becomes Monument Valley. And so we 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 started this the to build us two games as a separate business because making games and making digital products is very different. We also had to use a large majority of that money to basically allow us to to sustain about three years of pretty hardcore changes in us two studios for that to flourish. So you know it's not like we made 20 million quid and we walked away with 10 million quid each actually we never took we never none of that money was taken out and it was all used to give back to the the client service side
0: let's read a few of the reviews uh, from Monument Valley because they're so amazing. Wired said, this might be the most beautiful iPad game of 2014, which is obviously when it was released. Polygon said, brilliant design stayed with me like a dream I didn't want to forget, which is such an amazing review. And then Huffington Post said, each screen is a work of art. Uh, Monument Valley stuns with its serenity. And it is, it's such a beautiful game. It's sort of like a weird combination of like meditation, Studio Ghibli, and like some more maybe traditional games. I'm curious like where the idea came from, the kind of I know it doesn't usually come from one idea but how you were kind of thinking about it as you were going through developing it
1: behind every every app that we put out prior to that one there was always an intention to learn something from it so if we had the time I'd go through everyone now I could be able to tell you why it was a success even though it wasn't a commercial success and I think by the time we got to Monument Valley I think by then I realized that those all those years leading up to that had built us a huge rapport in the market, certainly within the design community. We had got us very close to Apple, which is absolutely necessary. And that's that was definitely a sort of a change. And we said, right, we want to. Actually, I actually want us to make, you know, a, an amazing experience. So we use all of those learnings and the key learning we had leading up from Monument Valley was ultimately that you can't really build a great game if you don't understand like core game mechanics and. And understand you know the difference between it's not like taking ux designers and say right guys make a game we had to respect the the medium itself so we brought in a few more people from external who would see this opportunity as a chance for them to really express themselves and really it was just about saying what do we not want it to be well we didn't have skills in like the freemium marketplace we didn't we didn't want to make like a you know, a a casino type game, like a a Candy Crush. It was about storytelling. That was our skill sets. It was about, like, we believe that premium games can do well, even though only a few had. I think we felt if we could position this the right way, then it has an opportunity to do well. We believe there was a mark out there for people that didn't like games or thought they didn't like games. And, you know, most games are created in a way that um, has sort of loops in it that keep you coming back for more all the time. It's like addiction. And actually, we wanted to see this more like, piece of music that you listen to or actually that's wrong because music you come back to all all the time don't you i use that metaphor It's wrong but we wanted to create something that's more like a coffee table book that's the way we saw it so if we could create something that people would tell their friends about because it's so beautiful but yet and it captured their imagination but yet at the same time it's not going to steal their time away like can we create something that's actually more about inspiring people to get off their ass and do something else Mm. and i think that was our that was our, our hook and i think You know, those years and years of of grinding with our success leading up to that had us, say, built us, enamored us to a lot of journalists who I think by then were kind of really loved the fact that we had never gave up. Again, luck plays a huge part in everything. There was just a desperation in the market to talk about something different. And Apple absolutely loved it. And that team is just so talented. They just created something just so absolutely wonderful. And it wasn't a game... For them, it was a game for other people. And I think often in game making, what we've come to understand is that often people create game companies because they, there's games that they want for themselves. Monument Valley was a very usable bit of art. And we helped people understand how to play. We held their hands through the onboarding and we kept them gripped. Uh, and, then, and then, but then we, just as they thought they wanted more, it was over. So you're left wanting more.
0: Is it true that Paramount are making it into film?
1: Yeah, funny to say that it's certainly true that they have that the that they have an exclusive right on making the film they have paid for that right, but it's proved, we've always known that it's a difficult you know it's it's isometric you know the game itself is you know escheresque isometric impossible geometry you know how that transfers to a film is you know i think because of the success of it certainly on a sort of cultural level if not commercially meant that they were very excited about it and we're excited we are still excited about it and we have regular calls with them but that it's how do you create a, a story from that i had written an email like a year before to the team that i think i sent you the other day that kind of like listed what i believed i did want to make something so beautiful that it would win a designer an apple design award and it subsequently went on to win baftas and and it went well beyond what i ever expected so i kind of achieved that dream to have now a, a standalone business us two games that, that we just use our money that we generate from selling our games to 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 take huge risks like we just launched alba a wildlife adventure just now that was you know that was like a i think six million pound investment
0: that's why it's a good example of experiments leading you to interesting spaces because it's not like you've just you woke up one day and you're like oh we've been designing a lot of work for clients but now we want to invest six million in a new game you have to get there through experiments and i feel like even though it's like a side project inside of business it's got the same kind of mindset i think of experimenting and, and trying to find something that energizes you and you enjoy doing
1: i saw it as a side project i mean by the fact that it wasn't making money. I mean, it was something that I was, you know, we were using, we had a team of 10 people over like five years. But yeah, you're right. I, I didn't start on that. on that In 2008, when we first launched Stepping, we had no aspirations to become Make Games. It was only in the journey of curiosity that mm. we started learning, getting to know other people, surrounding ourselves with people that make games. More importantly for me, seeing it people that we brought in, be excited. Like if they've got excitement or something, that's basically what me and the Sinks back. No, you're right. I mean, I never would have, there's no chance we would have started a games company back when we first, when we left university. As I said, I don't even play games, but I'm, I'm extremely passionate and proud of, of the leadership team in games, the culture of us two games, and both from the studio side. I'm very lucky that that's allowing me to be curious now about what's next for me.
0: We were just talking about this, the changing goalposts of success and, you know, how do you measure what makes you fulfilled and where do you go from here when you've built like, you know, these incredible successes within us too. And I think like, it is a common thing you were saying around, you reach some things that you think on paper are pretty amazing, but you don't feel them kind of internally, maybe to the degree that you would expect. This idea of like, I think it's this Jim Carrey quote, do you know this word? It's like... I, I, I,
1: You know, I was watching Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, the other night with the kids and realising how hilarious it is, not that I've ever seen it before. And in that, it reminded me yesterday that he's recently had said something, but I couldn't actually remember what it was.
0: It was actually ages ago, but he said something like, and I just always think it's such a good quote for this exact thing, which is like, I wish everyone would become rich and famous so they knew that it doesn't make you happy. something like that. Yeah. I just think it's such an interesting topic because it's like people do always look, you know, a step ahead and they think, oh, once I've done this, then I can relax. Or once I've done this, then I can be happy or satisfied with myself. But I just think it's like an interesting, really interesting kind of thing to to discuss on this journey. You know, how did you define success and how do you define it now?
1: So I think defining success definitely from for me, there was no doubt I want I mean, there were a few simple things I knew at the back of my head. I wanted us two to be a company that certainly within the community of designers they would look up to and respect now I didn't know at the time what that meant really what I probably felt when I first started when I was 24 was I want people to think we do great design work and we're cool and you know I'd want to work there and I think as time developed I think I realized that we were building a profile that certainly designers respected massively and they had a lot of admiration for us. But I think that's when I started to realize that we also had to make changes so that, so that the way we ran us to was the right way. So that it's, you know, equal for anyone to join so that you'd be yourself, whoever that is. And that really meant for us embrace, don't just be like Mills or Sings, but be like you and we, and us too, is a place that respects the quiet ones, the loud ones, whatever. So I think our goal, our goal, shift there. And I guess you know, being profitable is, you know, it, it, for me, you know, it's fairly binary. If you're not making money and you're claiming to be a business, then you know you've got to make money. So I think for us, being profitable year in year was important to us. It's about making the right amount of money, not the most amount of money. So I mean, we have hired over a thousand designers in that time, but you know, it's that's been quite a slow time, really. It's not like overnight growth. I think then when Monet Valley came out, and I felt like this, this is still this this yearning to be successful even though i probably could have you know if i looked around me and a really you know i mean I, you know, success based on the fact that i owned a huge design studio around the world and it'd been in business for 15 14 years and we just launched a astronomically successful game and actually more importantly it was they were talking about that game for all the reasons we had hoped they would you know it wasn't about how much money it was about just the impact it had and you know getting those emails from people as generic as it sounds from who said it really had helped their kids or helped them think differently or given them a little lease of life that meant a lot to me so I think the the business itself almost like crushed me as well, because i think i i i cared i i lost my own identity in it you know I was us to i I hadn't spent much time you know i i you know I sacrificed a lot for for that success you know that meant not when my kids were born twelve years ago at least will openly say that you know a lot changed in our relationship then because you know they i wasn't really that involved in them because i couldn't afford to mentally because i was so into us two um and i think by now the reason i sort of stepped away it's not because i've made so much money i'm so rich in fact it's not the case i know how much money i need to live and i know I've been very careful over the years and, and I've, you know, we've got a, a profitable business, but I think now I'm in a stage where I'm recognizing what it is about all those years that I really, without knowing it loved. And it was seeing all those designers go on to do other, get amazing jobs at other companies. And that having us two on, on their CV was a really big sign for them and was a real enabler for them. I started to think, wow, that's incredible. That That's what it is. Isn't it really? And I think I realized that my passion had always been, even when I went back to university times, was just about enabling people and community. And I think now I just, you know, now for me, success is about actually being able to put some time into, I wouldn't say meant like rebuilding my relationship with my own little family, like my kids are 12, 10 now. um, And I wasn't there for the early years. It's about, I'm I'm quite cautious about committing to anything long-term because I don't, I. I wake up each day and I'll, I I want to be able to do whatever it is I want. I'm not a lazy, I'm very driven, but it doesn't mean I want to start something new again. So success to me now actually means to guarantee that I can look after Lise and the kids or for, you know, for without me having to work again. So that means I've got to be, I've got to be careful with my money. And I've got to, obviously I've been investing in countless startups for like the last five years, but, Success to me would be wake up each day and doing whatever it is I want to do. I will spend most of my day trying to help people move their businesses on. There's no doubt about it. Knowing that I've helped somebody feels good. That's the payment I want now.
0: I think it's so hard for people to not see things as linear, like, oh, this is the end of something, or I'm working towards this and just be literally like happy with, Waking up, you know, having an impact, uh, doing some work that you enjoy, you know, helping people and stuff. I think that is just something that just really of always looking at the next thing and, and, you know, feeling like and actually that you miss. This is now really cheesy, but you do miss life, I think, when you're when you're doing that. And but I think it's like one of life's big challenges is how do you actually stop that happening? How do you actually recognize that this is, you know, this is life and it's not going to be the next success or the next win?
1: I mean, I, when I had my, I had a massive crisis of confidence about a year, probably after Monument Valley, whereby I, I put so much, so much focus on success. And I didn't mean that, I just meant sort of being, you know, of achieving those goals that I had lost who I actually was. In fact, least would say I'd been, I've basically been depressed for like five years now. And you know, I've, I've been seeing a therapist every week for the last two years, because it's really because I felt like one of the reasons is I felt like I lost my drive. Which I talked yeah. about earlier on, and I felt like, why don't I have this same it was very simple when I was when I was building us two because there was no choice. It was like I wake up every day, I was just going to us two. I didn't I didn't care about the kids and lease, but I just I chose to ignore that. That wasn't my thing. My thing was like, I have to, if I don't achieve success here, I'm going to regret it. And so it was so easy. But when I started to, probably when I got a little bit older, coming into like nearly 40s a few years back, I started to think like, what is life actually all about? And this, this, on this, this debilitating, um, self questioning of like, are you successful? Is that is is the absolute killer I've wasted two years. I'd reckon of my life really feeling like shit, I've got to start something big. I've got to do, if I, if I, I'm wasting my life, if I don't build something that gets me on the front cover of a magazine, you know, like, and I just then, but then I started thinking to myself only really in the last year and certainly in the last few weeks to get on the front cover of those things, to build, to be, doing something truly groundbreaking on that sort of commercial level that means I have to dedicate all my time to that I know what it's like I've been there Mm. and I'm not willing anymore to do that because I'm absolutely gutted in reality that I my son is 10 and my daughter's 12 and I I'll never get to really know what they what what it was like to to be there and I just made me realize just a futile goal to chase that so I think when and no, don't get me wrong. I still go back on that, and I still wake up with lease and I say, "Fuck, you know, is this decision I've made here to to be okay with feeling like if I help one person today, then bang." And I and I even put up I you know I screw something into the wall that that's okay. That's success. When I started realizing that a majority of my friends didn't even care or know really what us two was beyond they obviously you know, they knew it was successful. They didn't really spend any time caring about it, and I never yeah. talked about it to them. You realise, wait a sec, it's not. They don't like me because of that. It's very powerful to have that like desperate desire to win, to create a great place, to to, to be successful. But it it definitely the hard work. I feel is really starting now as I as I try to really get get okay with actually going. Whoa, this is actually life. I mean, I know it sounds weird, but it is, it is a bit trippy that whole thing.
0: I feel like work culture generally like how people see it has changed and maybe it hasn't but it's just my impression of maybe it's me like how I've seen it but I do feel like people are talking you know like hustle culture is very much under attack like people are a lot more sort of protective of their hours and and working from home has really allowed people to kind of you know realize things that are important all that kind of stuff and I think sometimes, you know, you've worked super, super hard to do something and some of it was necessary. Some of it wasn't. You don't really know, but you think that the hard work is what caused the good times or the success or that kind of thing. You don't actually know that. It could just, just co- correlated. And actually you worked like way harder than you needed to, to get to the same place. And I think what, what, what was responsible for a particular thing and what was just a kind of side effect or an accident that happened alongside it. And I think it's an interesting thing because I think sometimes you, people correlate like all the kind of bad stuff with the good stuff. And it's hard to know whether that stuff is necessary to get the good stuff or not. Do you know what I mean? It's like,
1: yeah, no, no, no I totally know what you mean. I guess like one of our values as to which I still, which actually has been the most powerful for us was, was just simply enjoy the journey. And I think really, that was the guiding light for us. If we're having fun and I, and I mean, if we're enjoying what we're doing, then, mm. you know, that allows you to get through some of the down stuff as well. Cause obviously all business is down and up. It's not, it's not all yeah. sailing, plain sailing, but I think, I was always extremely lucky. If we talked about before with the timings, with with you know the everything comes together. It's so fluky to be successful. I think in many ways, you know, the minute I wasn't enjoying it anymore, you know, I just I stopped. I I, and I didn't know I could stop. So for many years I was grinding and it was painful and Sinks wasn't liking it. And we were having to let go a lot of people and we were having to completely transform the business and we were having to take sales much more seriously. And it became. It wasn't what I was excited by anymore. And that's why we took the step to being professionals. But yeah, you're right. Purely hard work. I mean, Christ, people. I'm sure the world is littered with people who have done extremely well and have done very little in terms of actual hard work. So I think, you know, there's no doubt about now. I think if I, I never had a, an escape from us two. So us two was my hobby and my side project and my business and my love. And it was number one for sure. And when things started to eventually go wrong, there it became really hard. And I actually... Combined to that, I was changing internally without knowing it, and growing up, I think that I had a massive crisis in confidence then, and realised that I wasn't us to, and it wasn't, you know, it doesn't matter what that. So, you know, now I know that if I actually spend, you know, if I try, and it's still hard, if I try to spend, you know, time with the kids, spend time with Lee, or if I watch a film or something that, or I go running or I go cycling, or whatever, that, that those downtimes are really, really important because they get, they actually do uplift me on the uptimes. I think you can be you can you can be much more tactical. It doesn't mm. need to, and I, you know, there's no doubt about. It. If I was spending, tw- 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 I would regularly spend all, always, it would be fourteen hours in the studio. Probably did about a minute of work in that time. Real reality, and if, if anything, i probably caused people to do less work by being in the studio. So,
0: yeah, less productive as well. I think like that's that's the other. I think it's interesting kind of links to the other great benefit I think of side projects Adam Grant calls it a portfolio of selves which is like exactly that which is like you're left you're more resistant to like negative feedback for example from he talks specifically around like f- from a boss or you know if you hear or if something goes badly I think you're a, your own boss like because you've got something else of which you derive some identity and some sense of self and some stability and some sense of self-esteem and value like those crushing things don't crush you as much that's actually yeah one of the I think powers of whether it's a side project or a hobby or um you know family life or whatever you're investing time and in, in your own identity in i think it's really it's a great buffer for that kind of thing and i had a conversation actually recently with someone else uh, from the series called el huerta who runs a app called mend which is all about it's all about actually healing from breakups but also from burnout and we were talking about it and you know burnout so much of it actually comes from being all in on one thing and actually it's not to do with the hours necessarily it's to do with like your mental headspace and how invested you are in something. And so, yeah, it's, it's it maybe a dangerous place to be.
1: I think it's very, I mean, I've, I've in hearing that, that I had heard that in the past before as well, and I never understood it at the time, but it's, I, I mean, I, that played out in my life, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. have, anything. so that's where, you know, fit, you know, running became a really important thing for me. And I think you're just looking for that motivation, aren't you? Because undoubtedly things, you know, there's always going to be downs in everything you do. And so, yeah, the more, the more, well, not too many things that you can use as an upper. Like, if I'm not feeling it anymore about, you know, one minute I'm loving the idea of searching for new people to invest in, And then the next time I'm like, I can't be bothered to do this ever again. But then I suddenly go, I go running because that's I'm really excited about that, and then and that the, the dopamine comes back, and I go, oh, I feel good about life again, and mm. fuck it. So you know, absolutely, it's um that variety is, it, it can be re- very powerful.
0: So on the investing side, so you've invested yeah. in how many companies now?
1: There's about like 38. And I say about 38 because I think I did count the other day. So, you know, I find it a bit embarrassing to say investing is that it feels like I mean I have no idea what I'm doing. I all I'm doing is just being very excited by people seeing their own self-belief, but not too much, and just believing that I you know, I'm and I'm interested in in their business, but really it's about them and I've just very curious about them and so yeah, so so although I do have invested in losses, but it, I have seen that as a side project, and it, it, for me it is a side project because it's not. I'm not trying to. It's not to say that I don't want them to do well. And obviously, I want them to do well because they want to do well. But it's not. It's not a business for me. I don't have to do well for them. I would. I, I like the serendipity of it. That's what I like. It's like luck.
0: What do you think makes a good founder?
1: It has to be. Uh, well, let me think. So, I'm looking. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of taking a call somewhere. I think, I think they've got a real passion and a real energy around what they're doing. That, for me, gets me excited. Like I can hear it in their work that, that they're excited by it. I think they For me, it's important that I can tr- try to work out, roughly speaking, and that they've got some sort of that, that they that they'll be at a loss. Ultimately, I think that the, the mental side of it takes a big toll. Um, you know, can they adapt? Can they Can they ask for help, which is as important? You know, so I think, because that's what, and I probably, just, all I'm being, I'm being just, I'm just looking at what I've seen in my own life. Yeah. So it's probably not the right thing, but I think, you know, when someone's got a real energy about them and a real belief in it and they, and they really love it, I find it very difficult to say no. Now, that's not to say I will always invest in things. Money is fairly crude, isn't it, really? What it is, is looking for, you know, can I help them in any way? Can I help network them into something? Can I just give them that encouragement? If they, if I believe that there's that fit and I like the business, mm. then you know I'll probably do it. But it's just, it's just ambition, really. I, my pitch deck to founders, which I never actually actively send them, but it's like on my all my socials, is you know I I invest to buy friends, and that's absolutely genuine because I love just like the WhatsApp relationships I have with all of them, and for me it's just a. am just curious about the business and I it's a, a, back to my like main hope in life was to never have to work it's like I love that they're building businesses that I'm not actually I, it's just like I was at like, us too I was never hands-on with the actual work mm. I was just behind the scenes being there when people needed me to give them an upper or is out there championing them so I love championing people and I you know I love nothing more than than believing in people simple as that
0: if you go on your LinkedIn profile you call yourself co-joker of us too and dice. Yeah. and now even more of a joker at barney the horse inc to buy friends yeah are you ever serious
1: no i mean i am i'm extremely serious but without being serious because i feel like, and that's actually been my my sort of whole career really us two is like i don't feel you know i am as serious as somebody else but i don't take myself seriously in that they're probably like therapy is still going so there's probably i, I feel I feel self-deprecation is a really important, if I, if I can demonstrate to a founder or to anybody that I'm okay with self-deprecating myself, then that lowers their own guard and hence you're getting quicker. You're, you're, you're more quickly getting to a like a, a good conversation because I've got no interest in like talking about boring shit to people. I kind it's weird because I kind of, I put up those barriers which is like that whole my whole presentation about on horse dot com mm. is really is actually extremely genuine. Like you know, I have invested in thirty eight companies and with various amounts of money. And there's a you know, so I guess I am an investor by default of having invested in thirty eight companies. I mean, I know lots of investors invest professional investors who've done like three investments. Like, I mean, what makes them more professional than me? I'm, I'm professional because I'm trying to attract a certain type of person that, that, that understands that what I'm doing is just joke. I thought, how do I stand out? Barnetthehorse.com. I don't even know why. I think it was just available. I thought, let's just do everything that most investors don't do um, in order to give me some sort of exposure. So it's like I'm always looking for contrary things that basically get some sort of that help me to market. It's the same with Monument Valley was different to what everyone else was doing. Us us two as a family was different from all the other agencies. I then just realized that actually the investment side of things was really was something that I could just do personally. You know, I didn't it didn't need to be under a vehicle. And actually it's about gut reaction. The reason I like to invest super early is because there's no real business i mean there's not it's not about like the business then it's more about that person and that's exactly the bit of us two i love when i first started it so it's sort of that's where i want my best you know and other people invest later down the lines it becomes a much more serious scaled business you know i wake up and i've got like you know some days there's so many emails from people who are because i've because the night before you know, I've, I've ranted about, you know, 0800 talky time, which is this sort of, I sort of, I was testing out this service where people would just email me and I would just basically have email banter on trying to help them through an idea. And then you realize, bloody hell, like, if you actually say things, people actually come knocking. Yeah. And it's like, Christ, I can't actually be bothered anymore. So I sort of I, I, I ebb and flow in that. Just like, you know, I just like seeing people achieve a bit more or believe in themselves a bit more. Oh, like there's so you could put, we, we could put on I me mean, no, me and you now I can realize we could probably talk forever and never stop <laughs> there's so there's so much isn't there i mean i'm not even sure we've even talked about anything that would actually help uh people but
0: i was thinking we should end with um so there's actually two things that i wanted to there's one thing that i do want to ask even though we really need to go because you
1: i mean i've got nothing else to do i'm actually I'm, i took my medication so i'm actually quite in the zone right now
0: well, one thing is around like I think lots of creative people and especially creative people who have a d h d but right. creative people generally I think tend to be quite quite easily excited and easily bored and yep. also sort of ebbs and flows of enthusiasm for particular projects and that kind of thing. What advice would you give people, or have you found anything that's kind of helped manage those like energy surges and and lows
1: yeah i mean i think I mean ultimately, I think it comes down to having for me, it was the, having the co-founder who is the most of my best friend. He's always just given me the space to be that yo-yo. And you know, if there's something I really wanna achieve, I'll stay on the course for it. But I think I can be, also like I almost punish myself on that side because with the investing side, I find that if I could have a meeting with someone, I'm so excited by them. If I don't gut react and say, yes, look, here's the money and transfer it straight away, which is usually what I do, then the next day, I'd, another person might become my new favorite. And so I felt like I had to kind of, if I don't commit there, then, and that, that commitment there makes me have to stay, have to stay the course of it. I mean, if I look at us two, the reason us two is successful is because me and things never wavered off the path of trying to make it successful. Mm. And when it got really hard, we really need to stay on track. You know, when we were hemorrhaging money and you know feeling like the world was against us, you know, that was some of the hardest times of our life. So we had to want to do it.
0: There are people who are better at the initiation stage, and then there are like, the, yeah. the, and actually, like co founders, people often say there's someone who's kind of driving the vision and someone who's driving the execution for your own projects, for example, with like, for example, with investing or any kind of strategies that you use, for example, like journaling or, you know, just ways of kind of being aware of, of those moods and, and managing them or, or those kind of bouts of energy.
1: Yeah. For, for a, I mean, a couple of years back, for about a year, for, well, actually, twenty days, I did this. I used to just, I journaled through, um, I wouldn't say it's podcasting although it was I mean I'd I'd basically get my phone out and I would record on SoundCloud for about whatever it could be one minute where it would never one minute because I was just talking nonstop. and it was just me externalizing my inner monologue and I and I would often um listen to it back later in the evening when I've had a few beers think wow what a legend and I think the reason I would do that is because (laughs) I found for my own for my own sanity I have to say things out loud in order to to be able to understand whether or not I actually believe what I'm saying Mm. Um, and that gave me a real outlet and and you know and actually endeared me to a a lovely community of people that kind of really love that journey so I think I tried you know I tried journaling without that and I just I tried it I get really excited about it and five and two days later I've forgotten about it again so I think now I'm just thinking, I don't fight it anymore, but I think the and which is why I think I was very lucky that Sinks and me were so compatible as like one human being because I just can't my skill is not in like reading long documents or or in I'm just not good at staying the course on something now, so actually that's why I invested for me. Is just a chance for me to have multiple mini, mini interactions where actually no one's expecting me to deliver something a week later. Like at best, they might say, well, we work out that we need to try to get to some person. That's a little, so I try to work out how I'm going to get to that person, but you know, I don't really need to do much. And I think I'm actually better at, I'm actually better at dropping in and out of lots of projects than I am in trying to stay focused. And I think you just got to try to go with what really excites you. Like what, you know, don't put, don't, don't force it like there's something that really excites you then I think if you force I think if you force anything it's not real is it like I think I think I think you've got to find the passion
0: I think sometimes it's if you're someone who is who get who can get very motivated I think sometimes you seek that like high motivation before you start and actually often action precedes motivation i mean
1: i I had to stop coffee a few about a month back because i was realizing that i'm constantly chasing down to like like the dopamine or the adrenaline rushes and you know coffee or extreme running or extreme you know extreme podcasting where you do it all the time or check you know extreme nonsense on twitter like you're chasing these little micro excitements and it's and i stopped because it just was like detrimental to my health i was literally destroyed like you know i was constantly trying to jack myself up you know pushing myself to the limit on peloton or something like that and it's just i think um yeah like ch- ch- i think i'm just trying to calm down a bit more i feel like slow down a bit allow the mind to actually sort of slow down and, and realize that actually that those small moments in the day are actually quite fulfilling for now
0: for people listening um who are thinking who are thinking i've got this idea maybe they've told someone maybe they haven't yeah. But they've kind of got this like itch and this inkling that there's kind of an interesting idea in them, but they're, they're struggling to start. What advice would you give them?
1: It's hard not to be really generic here, isn't it? Because, I, you know, what I do say to people is like, I'll, I'll, I'll usually, what I've found is I'll, I'll, my job is not to give solutions. A, because I have no idea what the solution is, but B is just really to ask the right questions. And so usually I'll just ask them, like, what's stopping you? What you, I usually get is then a fairly long email that I'll very rarely read because it's like what I realize usually if you give it a few days, they'll come back and go, you know what, that actually really helped me process why I haven't started. The generic part is, you know, you read everywhere is try to get something out in any way possible that really just allows you to test whether or not you really care about that thing. When I did the podcasting, I wanted to be a podcaster, I thought. And I was using every excuse in the book not to start because I didn't have the right mics. I didn't have the right setup. I didn't know what i talk about. So I just started on my phone because I realized like, you could, it's all free. And I put it out there. And of course, no one listened to it. But then a few people listened to it. And then you realize no one actually listened to it anyway. But the point is I kept doing it because until I didn't do it anymore, I learned so much over that process that that I was doing it to what to, to test myself, but also to see whether or not I believe that you know I really did want to be a, a podcaster. So I think like if you've got an idea, I mean, you could the basic thing is like do like a, a micro research and like see whether or not someone's done it already. And that doesn't mean you don't do your idea, but uh, you know, if at that hurdle you you decide this, you know, you don't want to go ahead with it, then that's cool. That's killed that idea because ideas are just a two a, a, a plenty or whatever that saying is, which clearly it's not that. So I think you know. Is someone else doing it already? If not, if they are, how can you do it better? Then, you know, how can you, you know, what's the barrier? If it's money, then work. you have to work out, you know, how you can solve that. It's usually not that. It's usually time, you know. Um, If it's enthusiasm or mentoring, you know, find somebody that can help you, hold you accountable. That's usually what people spend time with me on. Really, you're just trying to get that little fix, I think. of, of Because I say to people, like, I say to myself, actually, it's not even people I say it to, like you, you're just trying to open a door into a new room. And once you're in that room, you, don't, you can't speculate what's in that room until you open the door. So the door, once you've opened that door, which is trying something, you'll learn something in that next room that will allow you to open or close the next door. I it's as simple as that, isn't it? Because you don't know what, by putting something out into, like when I did my podcast again, I use it simple, You know, people would then start emailing me. And then I would then talk about things that they had emailed me about in the next day's podcast. And then I would start encouraging people to give me themes. And then it was just like, let's go with it. And eventually I turned it into a journal where I was just like experimenting with talking about all sorts of random stuff. And I think that, you know, I was just going with that flow of momentum started.
0: Another thing that people might think about you is that, you know, he has the confidence to put out this podcast and he's always kind of saying what he thinks and he just seems so confident, I guess. Because I, I think you come across like that for sure. Um, and I think you probably are like that. But, you know, how, so I guess the question yeah. then, for people who are thinking, I'd love to kind of put myself out there a bit more or, you know, feel a bit more confident about stuff. Was there anything that helped you get to that place?
1: I mean, I think it's probably a misconception that people think I'm confident. <laughs> I mean, I'm confident. I mean, I think I have learned to become confident because really what I've learned is that no one gives a shit. The, the reason that I wasn't confident is because I was so worried about what people would think of me that JFDI podcast series was actually the most powerful thing ever because in learning that nobody cares what I say I had nothing to lose all of a sudden because what I kept on thinking was like okay the worst that's going to happen is no one's going to listen or the worst that's or even worse would be I say something that means lots of people listen but that's actually good as well because
0: yeah yeah, that's how I think about it it
1: yes it's like actually the worst would happen if I just kept on not actually wasting my brain every day wishing I'd started a podcast because that was getting nowhere. So I think, I think build your confidence up. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, when I first started, it was like a how to start a podcast. It was like how to start running. I think I did. And then I did like 30 how-to and I ran out of things to do because I didn't do anything. And then I just started testing every day, like saying certain things that I thought you shouldn't say because people don't talk about money or people don't talk about their feelings. And I started just being very open. And I'm always an open person, but I really pushed it. Talked about marriages, talked about fucking everything. And I think in doing that, it built me a confidence up because the right people emailed me. Like ultimately, no one cared about that podcast unless they were sort of going through some sort of mental breakdown like I was. But the people that did care would write me lovely emails and, and, and really respect what I was doing. So I think back to the question about how I think that's why don't make a big song or dance of it. Like you, you know, just launch, launch it silently to a few people, to your friend, or to, to people that you trust in and I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Like you said, the worst is no one hears about it and you've lost nothing mm. or people hear about it and they give you feedback and you work out whether or not you're wanting to listen to that feedback or not. You've got to be, I think you've got to believe in yourself. You really got to. You can't really afford in this life. You've only got one, believe it or not. And I think you've got to get over yourself, get rid of that ego, throw it away. No one cares. People want realness, people want vulnerability. Mm. Uh, the more vulnerable you are, I think the people, you know, only assholes would try to like cut down a vulnerable person.
0: Although I think that can scare people as well, right? Putting everything out there. But I guess you're right. Like you follow that thought through and it's like, what's, what is the worst that can happen? I agree with you though. Like on the podcasting thing, I think it's so funny. I literally always say the same thing. I'm like, you think the worst thing is that oh god, people are going to listen and they're going to hate it. No, the worst thing is no one's going to listen, and that's really probably likely to happen. So, yeah, yeah,
1: which is why it comes back to I think at the end of the day, try to do something that you're doing it for yourself as well. Like yeah. you're doing something that you actually want to exist. And because if you if you think it needs to exist, chances are somebody else will think it exists will exist as well. The amount of people I see that have lo- who who go out there. With as big a fanfare as they can muster to say they've launched a new podcast series, and I almost always guarantee that there'll never be a second podcast after that, because I, because it is it happens so many times. And I think actually that's the power of of a side project or starting anything is actually no one cares, and probably no one's going to care for many many years. I mean, you know, arguably us two is only you know people are caring on a different level. Like sixteen years, you no. Know, if I thought us two when I first started was was that that was the thing. That was it. But sixteen years later it's still going. So I think you've got a lot of time to chop and change things. And no one no one, no one cares and everyone cares. That's the thing. People relate to things that they're interested in at that time. So that's why it's about finding that audience. SoundCloud says like six or seven hundred people a day were listening, but I don't believe that because I think it's all bots. But you know, I know they're like of that about 50 people I built up a relationship over that year that I really, that I still talk to each day when I want to. And I realized that it wasn't about the numbers. It wasn't about a thousand millions of gin. It's not, you know, almost like the, the wider you have to go, the more generic the content needs to be. And mine was so like molecular, like abstract that it, I would, I, I was getting enough energy from, you know, three or four emails a day. Even that was too much for me. So I think you just got to know what you're trying to achieve with it as well. Know that audience. And so, um, and at the end of the day, I also, you have to have a, t- a thick skin, isn't it? It's not about you, it's about the thing you've put out there.
0: 100%. People
1: put those blur that I did it for too long. Like us two was me and Sinks, or it was the company. If people said something about us two, it was about me. it's like, I'll cry. And you just got to grow up and you got to realize that, that you know, you've got to be thick skinned. You've got to want to seek people's rejection. You've got to want to seek people's. You don't just want the good stuff, you want people to be honest about it. But equally, just because they say it's a shit idea, doesn't mean it's a shit idea. In their world that they live in, it's not right for them, but doesn't mean it's shit. So one thing I said about my JFDI I coming come back to this, is I said, I've got to reduce the barrier to, to why I give up. So that's that. why I literally, well, it wasn't even literally, it was like SoundCloud, oh, so it was my phone, voice note, whatever, record. Upload to SoundCloud, press go. Never listened to it, never edited it, and that way it could be. Re- it was right for what I was trying to do, but also it just meant there was no excuse there. I would self-test stuff, so I would say something about like us two that I was not meant to tell anyone, and mm. I just because you know you're sort of preconditioned to think you shouldn't talk about things. You realize nobody. It's not like the journalists are waiting on my voice. It's not like I ran a business that the world cared about. I just don't care what, I mean, I, you know, I care. that I don't offend anyone because that's never intention. But other than that, you know, what I say today may not be what I feel tomorrow. So I've got no issue with there being loads of stuff. I mean, I've got lots of contrary stuff out there because at the time I did feel it and I said it, but it doesn't mean I'm going to stay stuck to that forever. Like, you know at the end I don't really take life that seriously because it doesn't really matter it's all nonsense everything's nonsense what matters is close friends you know in your family and you know and hopefully helping people on the way but at the end of the day nothing more
0: thanks so much for listening to this season we do have another season coming up so if you just hit subscribe or follow you should get a notification when we launch the first episode until then have a great summer and i'll see you then